lest you think I am the new guy on the staff, I want you to know I'm just an old guy that's had cataract surgery. Okay? That's, people are saying, I just can't get used to seeing you without glasses. Um, Pastor Jeff Hines always breathes a sigh of relief when I get up those stairs because he tells me that falls are the biggest cause of injury for old people. <laughs> and he gave Pastor Jeff Weiss three extra songs today. He said, in case Dave can't make it through his sermon, I want you to have enough music to finish out the hour. So there you have it. All right, let us, uh, that's, that's about all the humor you're going to get today. I got to tell you that. Um, let's join in prayer as we open our sermon today. Heavenly Father, you are a good and a gracious God. You are an almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Give us the seeing eye and the hearing ear, Lord, as we hear your word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last week, Pastor Jeff introduced a sermon series on the armor of God. In the next number of weeks, uh, a number of us will be speaking at various campuses. And um, Pastor Isaiah already told you, if you don't want to hear the same sermon twice, you can stay in one spot. I'm going to speak today about the helmet of salvation and about prayer. But before I do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about the need for the armor of God. We heard this passage last week in Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12. It says, Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And I want to talk to you uh, briefly First of all, about who the devil is, what are his schemes, and who are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In Revelation 2, verses 3 and 4, we read the following. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Let's talk briefly about Satan. Satan had another name before we called him Satan, didn't he? What was his other name? Lucifer. Lucifer means light being. He was a beautiful angel, an archangel that God created. Because he is a creation of God, he can only be in one place at one time. And it's uh, fairly safe for me to say that you probably will never run into Satan. But he has a lot bigger fish than us to fry. But he has a lot of little helpers. We call them uh, demons. Um, the third of the angels, when it talks about a th his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and cast them to the earth, it's talking about angels. And it's talking about 
the angels that rebelled with him, angels that we call demons now, or evil spirits. And these are the forces that Paul is talking about for which we need the armor of God. We need one more piece of scripture to help us frame the picture that we have in front of us. And that is in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. And it reads as follows. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If we're talking about a war, there must be a battlefield. Russia and Ukraine are in war right now, and the battlefield is the country of the Ukraine. And what about the battlefield for us? Where is the battlefield against the enemy? This passage tells us that the battlefield is in our minds. None of us can see demons or evil spirits because they are spiritual beings, and the place they attack us is primarily in our minds. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul tells us the God of this age, that is Satan, and his minions has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. These evil spirits also attack the minds of Christians. And I have worked with many, many Christians who have not been able to control their thought worlds, thoughts that they didn't know what to do with, thoughts that they didn't know where they came from. Thoughts get into our minds three ways. We think up thoughts on our own. An evil spirit can put a thought in your mind but cannot read your mind. And God can put thoughts in our mind. Most often we hear from God through his word about 99% of the time. When you think up a thought on your own, uh, you talk to yourself in the first person. It sounds like this. I've got an appointment today. I've got to go here. I've got to get this done. And you can change your mind. Nope, that isn't going to work. I'm going to go here instead. I'm going to do this. When an evil spirit puts a thought in your mind, he has to talk to you in the second person. Sounds like this. Nobody loves you. Nobody understands you. You're a failure. You're ugly. You say you're a Christian, but I know what you're thinking. And when an evil spirit puts a thought in our mind, we cannot unthink it. It sometimes starts this tape recorder playing, and you do not like what you are hearing, but you cannot turn it off. The Bible tells us that God has a way of removing those thoughts. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I'm not going to talk about too much of that today, but I want you to understand how the battle is formed. It's formed in our minds. You don't have a demon or evil spirit following you around all the time. They cannot just enter your mind anytime they want. We have to open doors for them. When we open a door... We let them in, and I'm going to show you three of probably six doors that can cause us problems. The first one is our own unrepented sin. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says this, In your anger do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. The Greek word for foothold there is topos, from which we get the word topography. Don't give the devil a place to stand. You see, if you are allowing a sin to exist in your life, you have opened the door for the enemy, and you have given him ground in your mind, and the shield, the uh, armor of God won't protect you because he is already in. I had a man from northern Wisconsin come to me. He was an elder in his church. He had struggled with pornography for 40 years. He'd been to three Christian programs and had not, getting, had not gotten free. Been married 30 years. He had nine children. His wife separated from him two months before he came to see me. He would go to this program, feel sorry, repent of his sin, stay clean for about two months, then he'd get under stress on his job, and this thought would come into his mind. Just open one website, and it will relax you. He didn't realize it was, his own, it was not his own thought. That thought would repeat itself, and finally he'd say, well, I guess I just need, I'll just open one, right? Bet you cannot eat just one, the commercial says. I'll just open one site, and guess what? He was back to ground zero. I said to him, when you sit in church, this thought probably goes through your mind. You're the biggest hypocrite sitting in his building. And he said, every week, that thought goes through my mind. I showed him that all his thoughts were not his own. We looked at these scriptures. Now, I walked him through the scripture to show him what God would do to help him uh, take that ground back. And he did. Two weeks later, he called me and he said, I've never been so free in my entire life. I now understand why I was getting caught and trapped. And two months later, his wife agreed to reconcile with him. The second door is our unwillingness to forgive someone who has hurt us. Second Corinthians 2, verse 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul is talking here. He says to the Corinthians, if you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. You know, when, uh, when the Packers, there's probably a lot of Packer fans here, I'm an old Viking guy, you know. Uh, when they play the Bears, the week before, what do they do? They look at the films, right? They look at the films of the other team and they say, when you see those guys in this position, in this position, here's what we want you to do. Here's how you're going to react. They look at their schemes, and they determine a defense. It's the same for us as Christians. If you don't know what the devil's schemes are, he will have you under his thumb all the time, and you'll never get out. In Corinth, the church had a man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. And Paul wrote to the church and said, put him out, that's poison in your congregation, and they put him out. Then he repented of his sin, so Paul said, take him back, and that's why he wrote to them about forgiving. Because you see, if you were, someone has hurt you, and you won't forgive them, you have given ground in your mind for the enemy to stand and say to you, look what Uncle Charlie did to you. Look what your mother did to you. 
Look what this person did to you in this relationship. And you see, it takes two things to forgive somebody who's hurt us. One, we need to say to the Lord, I will release that person to you. In other words, I'll no longer blame them for what they did to me. That doesn't mean you agree with it. But I'll no longer blame them. And secondly, they have deposited in your heart emotional pain. And the only way you can get it out is by paying for that pain. As you say to the Lord, I am willing to pay for the emotional pain they cause me. People say to me, that's not fair. First, they hurt me, and now you're telling me I have to pay for the pain. That's what Jesus did for you and I. He went to the cross, and he paid for that pain that we could not pay for. But when somebody hurts us, he does not pay for that pain because he says in his word, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. It is the only way. Drugs, alcohol, sex, money, none of those things, they're only band-aids on the pain. We need to forgive. But if you're holding on to that pain and you want revenge and you want to get back and get even, you have opened a door for the enemy. The third door is fear. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, the Lord has not given you a spirit that is an evil spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and self-discipline. We have natural fears, fear of snakes, fear of heights. I don't ride roller coasters. But most of the fear in our world is supernatural fear. Satan, through COVID, put great amounts of fear in people's minds. Had a person call me and say, I'm supposed to be at worship practice, but I'm afraid to leave my house. Another man who's... Uh, son started having seizures. He said when it happened, I was, at first I was afraid. Now when it happens, I'm terrified and I can't control it. And both of those situations were demonic. Worked with both of them to show them what the Bible says about overcoming uh, the enemy, overcoming fear. All this is to show you the schemes that the devil uses to try and ruin our lives. And Paul tells us to put on the armor of God as one of the three weapons we have to use against the enemy. The other two are the word of God and the authority of Jesus' name. I'm going to speak to you specifically today about the helmet of salvation and how to put on that piece of armor. And finally, I'm going to tell you how to pray on the armor of God. As Paul describes the armor of God in Ephesians 6, he uses the picture of a Roman soldier and the armor he puts on. In Ephesians 6, he says to us, put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet obviously covers the head, and Paul calls it the helmet of salvation. There are two things the helmet of salvation does for us. First, it protects our mind. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we read the following. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your reasonable worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will be able to test and approve what is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
when a person accepts Jesus as their Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within your heart. And the Holy Spirit brings to you at that point a renewed mind. You don't get a new mind. You can't go to the doctor and get a lobotomy and get a new mind. The Holy Spirit gives you a new mind, a renewed mind, rather. He gives you a renewed mind. That involves the ability to read the Word of God and understand it, and the ability to understand God's ways. Because we are saved, uh, the whole direction of our life has changed. When you are saved, uh, you are saved out of something. You are saved out of darkness, and you are saved into the light of Christ. Um, You can tell... you. You cannot convince or argue a person into becoming a Christian because they have what the Bible calls a reprobate or morally corrupt mind that is unable to understand the gospel. You could tell an unsaved person what it feels like to be a Christian, but they will not understand you. You have a renewed mind and they do not. Because you have a renewed mind, you now can experience the love of God and live in a way that is honoring to him. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 17, 18, and 22, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. When you are saved, the helmet gives you the protection for the renewed mind because now you can think uh, in terms of God's word and you can obey and live in terms of God's word. John was referred to me by a fellow employee who went to Highland here. When John came in to see me, he told me that he was in the the midst of a uh, miserable divorce. He said he had been married 26 years. He had not been in church for 26 years. He had trouble with alcohol and anger issues. He was estranged from his two adult daughters. And he said, some days on my way home from work, my mind tells me, you don't have to put food in your stomach when you get home. Just give me alcohol. And then he looked at me and he said, my friend said, you could fix me. Yeah, that's what I told him, John. I can't fix anybody. I can't fix people. But I know who can fix you, and we'll talk about him. And we begin to talk about Jesus. I walked him through the gospel, the fact that he was lost in sin, as uh, Pastor Isaiah presented to us in the communion service. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus was the answer. I also talked to him about having to forgive his wife because he had great bitterness in his heart against his wife. And uh, when we got all done, we started to pray. Took us quite a while. Prayed, we uh, got done at about uh, two hours time with the whole thing. And when we were done, John looked at me and he said to me, I've never felt like this in my whole life. If you would have told me two hours ago I could feel like this, I would not have believed you. He came back to see me the next week when we were talking about 
his alcohol. He said to me, I suppose if I accept Jesus, I'll have to give up my drinking. And I said, well, John, Jesus doesn't work like that. He always catches a fish before he cleans them. And so John came back the next week. The first thing he said to me was, when I got home last week, I poured all my alcohol down the toilet. I haven't had a drink in a week. And then he said, I called one of my daughters in Madison. I said two sentences on the phone, and she said to me, Dad, what's happened to you? Something is very different. And he said, we were able to reconcile. And then he said to me, I now realize I have not loved my wife a single day in 26 years of our marriage, and I want my marriage back more than anything else. And the next week, he brought his wife along with him. And we talked about forgiveness and what it would take. And we prayed about that. The following week, he said to me, this week I sold a bar in my basement, and my neighbors and friends can't figure out what's happened to me. And in week number four, they came back together and said they had torn up their divorce papers, and they were moving back in with each other. Only Jesus can do that in the life of a person. John got a renewed mind. He could think differently. He could talk differently. The Holy Spirit had given that to him. When we pray on the helmet of salvation and the armor of God, we are asking the Lord to protect our renewed mind so that we will not return to our sinful ways. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to live differently. Salvation, the word salvation is bigger than the word eternal life. It talks about our eternal life with God, but it also talks about the sanctified life that the Lord wants us to live while we are here on this earth in the life that begins with a commitment of our hearts to God that moves from our heart to our mind and into the actions of our lives. Paul said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of the mind is a daily process as you read and learn the word of God. Let's say you were a soldier in Iraq. You go out on patrol every day. Put on your full armor every day. Your helmet, bulletproof vest, take your gun, whatever it takes. But you've been on patrol for two weeks and uh, nobody has shot at you. Everything's gone smoothly. Everything is going well. So today you look outside, it's nice and sunny, and you say to yourself, I think I just won't put my helmet on today. I'm going to get some fresh air. You think he's going to do that? No, he isn't, is he? You know, the NFL linemen, they're waiting in the locker room before the game, and he says to his buddies, listen, it's 85 degrees out there. I ain't wearing my helmet today. I'm going to play without one. <laughs> Do you ever see an NFL player without a helmet on? <laughs> Only when it gets knocked off. All right? It's a daily thing. It is a regular thing. It's something we do every day. It's part of what the Lord intends us to do as Christians. It's a daily practice. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil isn't looking for unbelievers. He's already got those. He is looking for Christians whose lives he can harm in some way. And how will he do that? He will lie to us in our minds. 
He'll say something like this, Dave Mahler, you've been praying hard for that sick friend or not, and they're getting worse every day. God isn't hearing your prayer. Sally, you lost your job last week. Who's going to pay your bills? What are you going to do now? One third of our teenagers have suicidal thoughts during their teenage years. I've talked to a number of Christians who have been depressed by lying thoughts the enemy has put in their minds. But if we are putting on the helmet of salvation, we might read, read a word like Romans 8.28 that says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we'll be able to say to the enemy, uh, I don't have to understand what's going on. My God is bigger than that. He's stronger than that. He is able to help me. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8, that we do not belong to the night or the darkness, but we belong to the day, and we should put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. The hope of salvation as a helmet, what is that? The end game for us as followers of Christ is to spend eternity in the Father's presence. That's what it is. You're going to think about that the day before you die, or do you think about that right now? I think about that every day. I thank God for it every day as part of the inheritance that he's given me as a believer. In fact, it is one of the first things I think about every day. Last week, Pastor Jeff talked about preaching the gospel to yourself when he briefly talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace. And he says that he preaches the gospel to himself. <clears throat> what in this world cannot be taken away from you? There is nothing in this world that cannot be taken away from you. Your health, your worldly possessions, your job, your friends, your family, even your own life. But the sure and certain promise of eternal life that God gives us through Jesus Christ can never be taken away from you. If you believe that Jesus died for you, you are his. If you live in that hope, Satan and life circumstances will never be able to defeat you. That doesn't mean you won't have down days, that you might not be depressed at times. The Bible tells us that Jesus was depressed in the garden on the night in which he was betrayed. Um, in this life, Jesus said, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We need to look continually to the cross where the Bible says that Jesus crushed the serpent's head. The hope of salvation isn't some dreamy, imaginative thought. It's a concrete promise from the living God that we can take to the bank and build our present and future lives on. Paul says, in this hope you are saved, and we wait for it. Whenever I do a funeral, I do what is called a committal service. I say to the congregation, Christianity is the only religion that teaches a bodily resurrection from the dead. We're the only ones who can. We're the only ones who have a Savior who was buried, died, buried, and rose again from the dead. We have a Savior who said to Mary at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and he who lives and believes will never die. And then he looked at Mary and he said, do you believe this? And he looks at you and I today and says to us, do you 
believe this. So how do we actually put on the armor of God? Paul concludes his section on the armor of God by saying, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. In the following weeks, we will hear about the other five pieces of the armor of God. What we'll discover is this, that all of the pieces but one are defensive. They're all defensive except the sword of the spirit. And they're defensive for this reason. The spiritual ground that we are standing on, we did not have to fight for. It has been given to us through the blood of Christ. We don't own it. We can't rent it or pay for it. Our job is to defend it. Paul says in Ephesians 6.13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after that to stand. It's like the song uh, Pastor Jeff just sang for us. The ground we stand on is ours. It's ours. We didn't have to buy it. It's ours, but we do have to defend it. Thirty years ago, I taught a study on the armor of God, and I was putting it together. I wasn't a pastor at that time. I talked to a number of pastors and asked them, how do you put on the armor of God? And no one could tell me. You know what that told me? They're not putting the armor on. <laughs> they don't know how. I wrote my armor of God prayer 30 years ago, and I prayed it almost daily. I can't tell a lie. I miss a day once in a while, but not many. Carol and I prayed it this morning. We pray it together every day. I connected each piece with the Bible verse. There may be other ways to do it. I, I don't know, but this is the way I do it. And I'm going to close our service today by praying it. Uh, if you want a copy of this prayer, you can send me an email and I'll send it to you. But this is the prayer that I and my wife pray daily. Would you bow your heads and join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I put on the mighty armor today you have purchased for me by the blood of your Son. Around my waist I tie the belt of truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father but by him. Help me, Lord, to speak and walk and live that truth in my life today. Upon my chest I put the breastplate of righteousness, that my heart might be protected from sinful emotions today. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As the bridegroom adorns himself with his ornaments, and as the bride adorns herself with her jewels. On my feet, Lord, I put the shoes of the gospel of peace, that I might walk as a man or woman of peace today. Let the peace of God that passes all understanding keep my heart and mind in Christ Jesus today. Let me be a peacemaker among others. I lift up over all the shield of faith that all the flaming missiles of the evil one might be quenched around me today. But thou, Lord, art a shield to me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Let thy holy angel be with me, that the wicked foe may have no power over me today. Upon my head, for the protection of my mind, I place the helmet of salvation. Let me not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of my mind, that I might know your good and perfect will for me today. Lord, help me today to think upon your word 
and keep it in my thoughts. I take in my hand the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, mightier than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me go forth today, Lord, with your word, standing against the kingdom of the enemy and advancing yours. In Jesus' name, amen.